Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Today's scripture is Matthew 6, uh, 16 uh, to the end of chapter 6. And it says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full already. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies in the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his kingly splendor was dressed like one of these lilies. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, when it's here today and tomorrow it's thrown on the fire, Will he not even much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things, and their heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. So tomorrow will worry about itself. Anyway, good afternoon. So good to see you. If you are a guest or a visitor, if uh, someone has invited you along, dragged you along, uh, we do hope that you feel uh, very much at home and at ease, part of the family. Just a wee bit of family business um, before we start. Uh, it's our lovely friend Robin's 50th birthday today. So, um, Robin, will you stand and be really embarrassed for us all? We're going to sing happy birthday to Robin.
He doesn't look a day over 50. Uh, just kidding. Happy birthday. Um, it is great to see you. If we haven't met before, I'm Andy. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, just a couple of things to flag up for you. Tonight, we will be gathering as a wider Irish vineyard family in the urban center that is Dungannon. And... Um, uh, you'll know from time to time we gather as a wider vineyard family um, to worship and to pray, and uh, usually that happens here, but tonight we're, we're going down to Dungannon. I, I just I hope this doesn't feel harsh, but um, I really don't want us to be the kind of community that gathers to pray when it's convenient, and uh, that we're happy to come along here because it's on our doorstep, but when it's in Dungannon, it's, it's a bit easier to go... Got to get up early for work, and you know, the kids have got stuff to do, and all that sort of stuff. I'd love us to prioritize this tonight as we gather as a wider vineyard family in Dungannon. The address and details are on our event page on the website. Um, we'll be 6 30 for tea and coffee and 7 o'clock uh, down there. So if you've never been to Dungannon, it's an amazing. It's, well, <laughs> actually, if you've never been to Dungannon, it needs our prayers. So. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, uh, that's, that's tonight. We'd love you to join us. And then also next Sunday, um, my dear friend Alan Emerson will be here uh, speaking at our 9.30 and 11.30. Alan and his wife and uh, team are planting Emmanuel in Portadown. Alan helps lead Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, uh, oversees the Tabar Network of Churches, and uh, is also one of the co- kind of key co-conspirators of the NUA Festival. Some of you will know about NUA. We're gathering with people from all over Ireland for a weekend in May to pray for God to do something in our lives that none of us have seen before. And uh, so Alan will be here next Sunday, and uh, we're really, really excited about that. So we are continuing uh, Matthew 6 uh, this morning. It's page 675 in your black Bibles. If there's a Bible beside you, why don't you grab that? Um, James, will you grab me a wee cup of water, please? Thanks, pal. Um, <clears throat> let me pray as we uh, open the scriptures together. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. And um, Holy Spirit, we just humbly pray, come. Breathe life uh, on this written word and change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, mate. Um, I remember whenever I was uh, 27, I was spending some time with an older uh, Christian friend, and uh, he's a bit of a mentor to me at the time. And um, life, was, life was pretty full at that stage in our lives. We had three very small kids. Uh, I had a full-time job in Belfast, and we were kind of at the beginning of uh, this thing called Lagan Valley Vineyard. And um, yeah, things were, things were pretty full. And we were wandering around the grounds of Glenarm Estate, and uh, I was probably moaning a bit about kind of all of the things that I had going on in my life, and, and they were all really godly things. And, and if I'm being totally honest, I'm a wee bit embarrassed to tell you about this, but if I'm being totally honest, I was feeling like quite, uh, like, like a bit of a super Christian, you know? I was like, you know, like I was kind of moaning, but I was totally fishing for like, you know, this guy to be like, wow, Andy, like you're doing all that stuff for God. That's amazing. Keep going, you know. Let me pray for you. I was kind of waiting for him to stop and have this like mad, prophetic, encouraging word and all this sort of stuff. And we were walking and uh, eventually he like just interrupted me mid-sentence and said, Andy, do you know what your problem is? I was like, flip, that's, 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 the, that's not the kind of, you know, wrong tone, you know. 
Have you seen all the things I've done? Have you been listening to anything I've been saying? That, like, you know, you should be like thanking me or something. And he's like, do you know what? What, what do you mean what my problem is? And then he said something. He said, uh, your problem is that uh, your life could flutter in a million directions and fly in none. You need to figure out what's important and prioritize that. I was like, well, see you later, mate. <laughs> Real friends stab you in the front, right? And um, it, was a, it was a moment of... Uh, Love and truth. I didn't feel very nice at the time. But it, it kind of sent me into three months of uh, reflecting on this kind of question of like, geez, what is, like, what, what, what am I kind of aiming at? What am I prioritizing? What's, what's the most important thing or couple of things in my life? And actually the fruit of three months of chatting with friends and praying and reflecting. At the end of the summer, I kind of resigned from my job and moved into this role uh, full time. And it's a really significant moment um, in my life. And um, this sermon or this section of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is dealing with the question, what's the most important thing in your life? It's a profound question. It's a question that um, most of us perhaps don't reflect on too much because the reality, all of us have a huge long list of competing priorities. We have all sorts of things that are competing for our attention and for where they should be on our list of important things. And Jesus really, in this moment, in this sermon is asking people to pay attention to what has become their priority. What's getting the most important parts of your life? Remember, uh, this whole sermon, Jesus is dealing with the question, what does life look like in the kingdom of God? So the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looks at those listening to him and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the rest of the sermon, he's unpacking how does salt behave and what does light look like? That's what he is doing. What would our lives look like if they were a place where what God wants happens? You see, when our lives become places where what God wants happens, uh, that, that brings with it a set of priorities or uh, a focus that's very different to the prevailing culture all around us. This passage is all about priorities and it's incredibly current. Jesus is confronting the addiction that those people listening to him had with impressing friends, pursuing fame, wealth, and material possessions. You know, it's funny, like uh, being famous is now like a legitimate career goal. I used to be involved in a lot of youth work and uh, I used to love doing this thing with, uh, work with a BB company and I used to do this thing with 15 year old boys and I'd get them to describe their life to me when they were 30, like in as much detail as they could. And uh, almost to, to a young man, they began with famous. Like famous pilot. Remember having this chat with this one guy who's going to be a famous pilot? I said, many famous pilots? Do you know? He was like, well, none. And I was like, okay. Let's just think about that for a minute, you know? It's interesting. 
Those, those that Jesus was talking to, they had an addiction of uh, living life to impress others, the pursuit of wealth, material possession, and faith. Verse 16, he starts with, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. This mad practice, right? That people, when they were fasting, they literally wouldn't wash. Hair all over the place, beards all over the place, looking particularly hangry and upset. And other people would notice them and go, oh man, look how holy that guy is. Jeez, he looks like he's been fasting for months. Some of you are like that. It's just because you haven't brushed your hair. Just kidding. It's kind of bizarre, right? The practice of the day, it would seem, was that when you were fasting, you'd let your hair go crazy and your beard become a mess and you'd walk around advertising the fact that you were fasting and therefore more holy than everyone else. The great irony being that the whole point of fasting is to draw near to God. That's what it's for. But people were literally using fasting as a way to impress others and grow in social status and standing. Of course, today, there are not that many of us that find fasting culturally impressive, right? I mean, if you want to really impress your colleagues in work tomorrow, just don't brush your hair and, you know, don't have a shower and tell everyone you're fasting. Watch how that goes down. <laughs> Perhaps not so impressive as just kind of weird, But how many other practices do we engage in solely to impress or appear impressive to people around us? Just think for a second about your social media habits for those of you that are involved in that world. Why do you post what you post? The curated Life. There are a few social media psychopaths that do this, but it's, it's not actually that common, you know, that somebody takes a photo of their house or their life in utter chaos, hashtag real life. When was the last time you noticed a photo like that on Facebook or Instagram? There are a few, but for most of that world, it's curated images of perfection and inspiration. It is the uh, hyper-reality, as some commentators would call it. I was in Scotland climbing a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my friend Johnny and I were in a hotel in the evening having a meal, and there was a couple of Asian girls in their 20s that were sitting at the table beside us. We were there for an hour and a half, and this is not an exaggeration. For literally an hour and a half, they took it in turns to pass a phone back and forward across the table whilst they fixed their hair and took photos of each other. For an hour and a half, there was virtually no dialogue. Now, here's the funny thing. We go, gee, was so ridiculous, right? Is it? Why do we post what we post, where we post it, when we post it on, online? What's, what's really going on there? Jesus is asking those listening to him, what is more important in your life, connecting with God or impressing people? What's more important in your life, connecting with God or impressing people because you can't give God your attention when something or someone else already has it. You can't give God your attention when someone else or something else already has it. To whom or to what are you giving your attention? Such an important question. 
for all of us. And the three little sayings that follow in this section of the sermon where Jesus begins to talk about treasure and hearts and eyes and bodies and even money are all dealing with this idea, this question of what's getting your attention? What's getting your attention? What has your attention? Jesus knows that attention becomes affection. What gets your attention gets your affection. It's one of the reasons why we could all probably confidently say that we are radically in love with our phones. Like love is what you do, not how you feel, right? Like that's what love is. How many of us start our day gazing lovingly, punctuate every moment of our day with this beautiful piece of technology and end our day with a loving goodbye as we put it on sleep and set it beside our beds. It's interesting. What gets our attention gets our affection. And the reality is if we were to audit what gets most attention in our lives, then the sad truth for all of us, including me, by the way, is the love of my life is actually my phone. My daughter started to notice, it's terrible, on your phone again, Dad. (laughs) Jesus is speaking directly to this issue of what's getting people's attention because he knows what gets our attention gets our affection or attention becomes affection. His whole life and the entire story of God is one of God trying to help us connect to his affection and for him to become the object of ours. And that begins with this idea of attention. He takes the whole idea of attention and priorities further in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Poetic, but practically really unhelpful, right? What does that look like in your life? How do you store up treasure in heaven? Last I know, God hadn't floated heaven on the stock market. Like there's no heaven shares knocking around. This is one of those texts that we kind of read and go super inspiring. I should do that, but I have no idea how. Or some of us, we, we maybe think that storing up treasure in heaven looks like evangelism. Right? So if you lead people to Jesus, that's like you know money in your future bank account. But what about the rest of us and what does this actually look like? How do we learn to store up treasure in heaven? First, you need to understand that the word heaven for those listening to Jesus didn't mean the same as we hear it. So when we hear the word heaven, we think future place that if we've got enough fire insurance, hopefully we get into when we die, right? So we think heaven's this up there, out there place that we get to go to some kind of point in the future. Jesus' audience in this moment didn't think of heaven as a future place. They thought of it as a present place. That's why Jesus earlier in Matthew's gospel calls people to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come close to them. Heaven is breaking into their lives and their society and their structures. And Jesus is saying to them, learn how to invest 
in the good future that's crashing into your present here and now. When Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven, he was inviting them to invest their lives in the present reality of the kingdom of God. It was not about doing things that would be rewarded in some future one day. He was inviting them to learn to live and invest in the kingdom of God now. Remember, the kingdom of God is the place where what God wants happens. And Jesus is saying to those listening to them, prioritize, give your attention to, learn to invest your life in seeing the desires of God come alive all around you. Learn how to do the hard work of thinking that through for your office or your house or your family or the street that you live in. What would the desires of God look like if they were coming alive in this place around me? That's what Jesus is saying to them. Prioritize that. He's speaking about what's getting their attention there and then and it's no different for us today. Storing up treasure in heaven is about prioritizing the desires of God in our lives and our communities now. That's what it means. What's getting your attention now. What you treasure, what you treasure will capture your heart. And many of you know Proverbs 4, guard your heart because everything in your life flows out of that place. What you treasure infects your heart, gets your attention, grows into affection. And we need to learn to treasure God and his presence and his desires. I think one of the great tragedies of the church is that we've learned to treasure information about God and lost our desire for God. We've learned to treasure information about God that's become our idol. We worship content and information. We chase the conference and the podcast, the next book, the next sermon, more detail, more information. And listen, I'm for all those things. I spend an awful lot of my time hopefully sharing helpful content. But we have to be so careful that we don't worship information and miss intimacy with God. We need to learn how to treasure prioritize, invest our lives in his presence. Chris, Chris touched on this last week when he talked about Justin Bieber. The reality is he does know Justin Bieber's birthday. Um, <laughs> just kidding. We can know so much about someone without ever actually meeting them. Tragic. You can spend your life learning so much about God and never actually meet him. Never have a loving, intimate friendship with him. And we have to be careful, church, that we learn to treasure God himself, not just information about him. This is one of the reasons that worship and song is such an important value in this community. And it's in worship that we learn to treasure God's presence. And it's not a um, female thing. It's not just for those of us who are a little bit emotional or emotive. It's not just for those of us who are into music. It's a place and a space where we learn to treasure God's presence. 
where he comes and meets us. I mean, it's one of the most consistent pieces of feedback we get about people that have maybe um, drifted from church or never been in church or they've been invited along and I inevitably meet them at some stage and I'm like, oh, how did you connect with us? Or how have you found being in church for a while? And almost always people give me some version of, I, I, just, I just cry in the music. I don't know what's wrong with me. This church is making my life fall apart. Usually things are together and then I come in here and the band starts playing. I'm just like, oh, what is that? It's God's presence. It's God's presence. It does something to us. Learning to live life in the kingdom of God is about learning how to treasure God and his presence. How does salt behave? What does light look like? It's saturated in the presence of Jesus. Learning how to prioritize his presence, learning how to give his presence our attention, learning to grow in affection for him, not just information. Information can be such a convenient place to hide. And then he finishes this section of the sermon, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. I love this. This is classic Jesus, right? If he stops there, everyone goes, it's awesome. Like, he's right. That's absolutely true. And then the, but then, like, the punchline just kind of lands straight afterwards. By the way, you can't serve both God and money. It's like you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. You'll serve one, you'll despise the other. You'll agree, agree, agree. You can't serve money and God. It's like, whoa. It's a bit preachers should probably move past, but it's really important. You cannot serve both God and money. The word money here is often translated mammon, which literally means property and wealth. Remember, Jesus is dealing with what gets your attention how much of your mental energy is spent thinking about money and property and wealth or the lack thereof. How much of our minds and our energy and our day is spent thinking on these things. I think it's really interesting that Jesus here refers to money as a master. He says that if you're not careful, money will boss you around orders us around, tells us to ignore, neglect our families and those that we love, often in the name of loving them. Jesus is saying, you can only have one boss. Be careful which one you choose. You can only have one boss. I wonder who is it in your life? What is it in your life? Choosing to allow Jesus to be the boss of your life will lead your soul to places that only he can take you. So I love that uh, expression. Started, we just started using it with our kids, but it's our best definition of what it means to be a Christian. For Jesus to be the boss of your life. To rule your life. And Jesus has been very clear here. You can't have two bosses. There's only one. And when we choose to make Jesus the boss of our life, he leads us to places of life and light and hope and love. Making God the most important priority in your life does something to you. James, why don't you and the guys come back up? Verse 25, he then 
lands all of this stuff about attention in something that on first reading doesn't seem connected. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Therefore, so because of all of the stuff I've been saying about what's getting your attention, why you're doing what you're doing, who or what's actually ruling your life, therefore, do not worry about your life. And then he goes on to unpack that command, instructions about worry. Goodness me, could there be anything more current Anxiety haunts us. We, we live in an age that is literally crippled with worry and with anxiety. And Jesus' instructions are pretty clear. Don't do it. <laughs> How's that working out? Like it's, it's not a suggestion. He's not like do everything you can to practice mindfulness and keep anxiety at bay. Like he, he's, he's not saying learn to meditate and you know, not freak out whenever you get anxious. He's way more basic than that. He's just like, don't worry. Now here's what's really important that you have to understand. Remember who he's talking to. These people literally are living with a foreign, brutal, military oppressor. Jesus' cousin is in jail, soon to be executed. On a daily basis, husbands just didn't come home from work, never to be seen again. These are the people that he's looking at saying, don't worry. Don't worry. I mean, we think... Coronavirus is a bit scary. Imagine living with the Roman Empire, just removing your friends for saying the wrong thing. That's who he's talking to here. Don't worry. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, verse 26, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? When we learn to give God our attention, because we give Him our attention, our affection for Him begins to grow. When you learn to live that way, it changes, it changes everything. Jesus is asking them a pretty intimate question. When you look at the birds and their freedom, are you not more valuable than them? The reality is many of us here this afternoon would probably answer honestly, well, I'm not sure. I don't know if I feel more valuable to God than the birds. Sure, some of those really important Christians and those really holy Christians and those people who brush their hair when they're fasting. They're valuable to God. But, but me? See, Jesus knows that whenever we give God our attention, when we learn to invest our lives in the things that He desires, 
he begins to build our identity and he begins to rewrite our stories and he begins to define our value, not our past or somebody else's words. Look at the birds. Are you not more valuable than them? See, the antidote to anxiety is learning to give God our attention. The antidote to anxiety is learning to give God our attention. I remember um, when I was a teenager, I've always been pretty scrawny, right? And um, whenever, I don't know if this is true for most of the men in the room, certainly true for me and a lot of my friends. Like when you were a teenager, like there was all sorts of conversations all the time about who was the hardest kind of guy in your year. You know, or who, who could like who could really handle themselves? You know, and uh, I was never high on anybody's list. <laughs> My brother had a reputation for being pretty tight. I, I used to love whenever I was out the weekend and my brother was out. I was with him. I don't know what you're facing in your life family members with cancer diagnoses, kids that are struggling in school, financial pressures and stresses, genuine, legitimate, honest concern, stress and worry. Everything changes when you're with him. Everything changes when you're with him. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't take the pain away. But the truest prophetic word you'll ever hear in your life is with Jesus everything's going to be okay. Eventually, it's going to be okay. We need to learn how to treasure His presence, give Him our attention and affection and watch what it does to our lives and how it changes how we walk through difficult and challenging situations and circumstances learning how to stand on worry and anxiety, learning to look at things and go, well, I'm with him. And I think I'm going to be all right. If you're able, will you stand? I wonder how many of us are spending our lives fluttering in a million directions. And really the only thing we need to learn how to do is fly towards Him. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with us. Lord Jesus, would you increase your presence in our lives. Father God, we give you our attention right now in this moment. We fix our eyes on you. you to close your eyes for a moment.
wonder how long you would be prepared to wait for him. When, uh, when Dana and I were dating, we spent some time where she was in the States and I was here. And I remember one time she was flying over and her flight got delayed and she ended up having to fly into Shannon. And I remember pulling up down there and waiting and waiting, waiting, waiting. It took hours. There's no way I was moving on. There's no way I was going anywhere else. I, was, I would wait a days if that's what it took. One of the things we need to learn when it comes to the presence of God, we need, we need to learn how to wait. Because in waiting, we demonstrate and declare our desire for Him. And God won't, He won't compete for our attention. He won't compete for our affection. I think sometimes he just gently asks, will you wait for me? And so Lord, we wait. We wait. 